Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Hello, class. You may be seated. Today, part two of skills. Let's pick up where we left off on perception. Perception is a wisdom-based skill. And we left off on the most important one. Which, funny enough, has a very short section. Yes. So before you even read this, I'm going to say that I bet... This is going to be the one that most DMs have like a house rule or we use it wrong because there's no way how small this is and how often we use it that we're using it right. Well, I'd say that this is the most important skill of all of them. And most people would agree that perception is the most important skill to make sure that it's always as high as it could be. That's exactly. I max out every time. Perception is your ability to hear and see things that are happening and the way, you know, the world works is if you can see things, then you can react to them. So in Pathfinder, you know, depending on how the DM designs things, you know, if you don't find a clue when you're in a murder mystery, you fail your perception check, it's going to be hard to perceive. If you're ambushed by people who are hiding from you and you don't see them, it's likely they're going to, you might have to run from that combat. They're going to have a huge upper hand if you don't see them approaching. Definitely. Everything's based on seeing and hearing things and then reacting to them. So in that that sense, perception is very important. One of the things when you actually like roll and you roll against somebody is you're rolling against their stealth. They're yeah. trying to hide from you. They roll stealth. You roll perception. It's direct contest. Uh, stealth, sleight of hand as well is a opposed perception check. Mm-hmm. So just right there, it is has two opposed skills as compared to one opposed skills. Uh, disguise as well is another opposed skill to perception. So that's three skill checks riding on perception right, right there. Let's just go through a DCs they give you here just to kind of see what some things they think you'll be using it for. Um, hear the sound of battle, uh, minus 10. So that pretty much means unless you have something hurting your perception, you don't need to roll. Exactly, you can hear it. Uh, notice the stench of rotting garbage, another minus 10. Detect the smell of smoke, zero. That's interesting. Hear the details of a conversation is zero. Notice a visible creature is zero. Again, this means that you, you roll your perception check, and if you get a zero or higher, <laughs> then you succeed. So this means I can have a conversation with someone, and I can understand what they're saying back to me. <laughs> Determine if food is spoiled, five. Well, that's interesting. Well, I'm going to make my players do that next time. <laughs> Hear the sound of a creature walking. Hear the de- That's 10. Hear the details of a whispered conversation. 15. Well, that's like, I, I've always just kind of made that one up. That's a, I'm glad that's there. The, what they get into later is that you'll think that some of these are kind of easy as we get into them. Um, You take a penalty on perception check the farther you are away. There is a tape. I think it's two, minus two for every 10 feet or something like that. But that gets a little hand wavy because you're not going to be calculating how many feet people are away from you. Yeah, here it is. It's a distance to the source object or creature is plus one to the DC for every 10 feet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, find the average concealed door. 15. I need to put more concealed doors in my campaign. Hear the sound of a key being turned in a lock. 20. Oh, that's a good one because, like, you know, in movies you hear, and you're like, oh, maybe we're locked in. <laughs> that's cool. Find the average secret door. Not what's concealed door. What's the difference between a, a concealed secret. door and a secret door? I guess a concealed door would be like, you know, you just have something covering a regular old door. A secret door is like, oh, okay. like something constructed to make. To look like something else. Like, gotcha. it looks like a bookshelf. It doesn't really look like a door. Ooh, hear a bow being drunk. 25. That's that's an interesting one. Sense a burrowing creature underneath you. 25. See, like, when I'm in battle or something, I just give that away. I don't make people make perceptions checks. Say they're fighting, like, I guys fight a bull at one point. And uh, I was just like, and this is where it goes. Like, all of a sudden you hear it next to you and it pops out. I don't bother making them do a check. Should I make them a check? I don't think so. I mean... Depending on how big the creature is, you could probably see it moving underground, right. depending on the terrain. 
interesting little fact has nothing to do with anything. But did you know that when ice elementals uh, use their weight, uh, their ice, ice glide, ice glide, or whatever makes them go into ice, just mm-hmm. kind of like burrowing, they leave no traceable effect, no ripples, nothing. Oh wow! Yeah, no, that no, was no. my last game, and I was like, oh, I guess I'm not going to tell him where he's going. <laughs> it just just kind of disappears <laughs> into the ice. Notice a pickpocket. There's your opposed by sleight of hand. Notice a creature using stealth opposed by stealth. Fight a hidden trap, and that varies by trap. And identify the powers of a potion through taste. 15 plus a potion's caster level. That's come up before, and I wish I knew that. That's great. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. I rarely see that used because detect magic and spellcraft is so common. Right. But if you just happen to have, like, no one in your party that could do that, you, you can shrug some potions or take a sip and figure out what they right. do. Man, good to know. Uh, you were talking about things that would modify the DC, like the distance. A couple more, if, if you're doing this through a closed door, it's plus five. Through a wall is plus 10 through every foot of thickness. Because when I make my dungeons, I determine how thick <laughs> yep. each wall is. I get my little ruler out, and I'm like, okay, this wall's made of stone, but in the middle there's a wood backing. That's right. <laughs> I, you know, I need the logistics of everything. Uh, favorable conditions, uh, minus 2. Unfavorable conditions, plus 2. Terrible conditions, plus 5. Now you have a little note here about that. Favorable and unfavorable conditions depend on the sense being used to make the check. For example, bright light might decrease the DC of checks involving sight, while torchlight or moonlight might increase the DC. Bright noise might increase DC uh, involving bright noise. Background noise, thank you. (laughs) You know bright noise, the same kind of thing. (laughs) Oh, this noise is so loud. It's Uh, so bright. (laughs) While competing odors might increase DC of a check involving stealth. You get it. Uh, As for unfavorable conditions, but more extreme, for example, candlelight for DCs involving sight, a roaring dragon for DCs involving hearing, and an overpowering stench covering the area for DCs involving scent. Notice how all three of those are covered in perception. I know in uh, Old Path, uh, not Old Path, Old D&D, they had it separated. But now all all your senses are in perception. Correct. It used to be in 3.5, it was seeing, hearing, and searching. Seeing, obviously, being things you could see. Um, hearing, obviously, be things you could hear. Searching would specifically be for, like, searching an area for a secret door, or searching a treasure hoard for a specific item or something like right. that. And similarly, stealth was broken up into hide and move silently, which had their own opposed checks. You know, honestly, I, I think both of them have their flaws. Because like this one, all your points of perception, you got it all. All yeah. those other ones, it's like, I don't want to put points into three separate things. I think they both have the flaws, but I think this is the better way to do it. Yeah, I mean, if someone's sneaking up on you in 3.5, it's roll hide and roll move silently. And roll both <laughs> of right, those right, right. checks. Although I think that... Perhaps they should maybe break off searching for stuff mm-hmm. from perception in this, because perception is just a little bit, yep. um, there's just too much to it. In D&D uh, Next, mm-hmm. uh, which is what? Not 4.0, that's 5.0. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Regardless, the newest one, uh, I was listening to this people play, and what they do is they have two different things, perception and like investigation or something. Okay. And perception is to notice something the first time, and investigation is to like figure it out further. Oh, okay. So that's actually a story building mechanic, like a way to advance the plot. Like you don't actually have to figure out the clues. It's more of a mechanic that your character can do. Right. Um, Something to note about perception is just because you roll high doesn't mean something is there. If you're looking into a bucket for gold coins and there's only one gold coin and you roll a 20 on your perception, you're only going to see one gold coin. More won't magically appear. (laughs) You you can't make a perception check to see something that's not there. Like I I go to perceive a treasure chest in the corner. Oh, I rolled high. It's there. I've had to say that a lot of times. Somebody make a perception check and they rolled high and I say, okay, you only know it's there. Like, sure, I rolled it. I got a 26. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, um, this is a check that's often made in secret by the DM. 
I personally don't do it a lot, but it is like if they're searching for traps, you might want to roll mm-hmm. their perception roll behind the screen so that they don't know whether they rolled low or high. They just think that there isn't a trap there. I need to do it more secret because I usually ask my players, all right, uh, roll perception because there's something that they might or might not notice. And if they fail, if a guy, if the guy who's near it fails, all of a sudden my other player go, I want to roll perception. Yeah. It's because I said to roll perception. Now you want to look around. Right. Okay. I see how this is. So it's, it is, it is better a lot of the times to do, uh, a secret roll. Something I've kind of thought about adopting is in, in D&D 4.0, what they do is they have something called passive perception, which I think is just, you count, uh, your perception is just as if you rolled 10. It's like taking 10 all the time. So if there's something for them to, that maybe they notice, like if somebody would roll a 15, they would notice in the corners, I don't know, some creature hiding. Um, that's something I actually do a lot. Um, if my players are just walking around, if someone has a really high perception check, I just assume that they're taking a 10. And I'll be like, okay, you you notice something right. over there just walking around because, you know, you have eyes and stuff and you can see things. <laughs> it helps you don't have to roll all the time. And right. also, like, and you're rolling, like, what, what is he rolling for? Soon enough to catch on, I want to roll perception now. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> um, something is a trap I know I've got caught in before, and I have a feeling maybe a lot of new new, new DMs will, uh, will uh, fall into is... You want them to notice something, so you'll ask them to roll perception. Like, what if they all fail, right? Right. If you want them to notice something, just let them notice exactly. it. Exactly, yeah. That's a that's a trap I've fallen into before. You put, like, a little clue in the corner somewhere or something. And, like, everything's relying. You, they need to find this clue. They can't figure out the next thing unless they find this clue. It's, like, something you really expect them to find or search for. Mm-hmm. They might just not even think of looking for that item, mm-hmm. and they'll leave it behind and be like, why were we here again? Right. We didn't... And this is kind of a strange one. I like to hide things in areas to reward people who have high skills in a particular – high points in a particular skill. Mm-hmm. And uh, perception is a hard one to do that for. Like it would be easy to do for – like I want – they want to notice the guy has a scar on his face and like – or they has a tattoo on his arm that means something, right? So you want to re- you want to have that in there in case somebody says, I want to make – take a, a, a harder look at him. Mm-hmm. The reason I say it's hard is because you're almost guaranteed everyone to have high perception. So you're kind of like – it's rewarding everybody. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that's a huge problem. Um, GMs, something you want to do, because like we mentioned earlier, if you have them making perception checks, they're going to think, okay, there's something here we have to find. Something I do sometimes is have them make incredibly mundane perception checks. Oh. Like, you notice, like, the way the artwork is aligned is in, is peculiar. It doesn't actually have a gameplay mechanic <laughs> behind it. They, I just sometimes have them make perception checks that just reveal flavor of the place. It's not like there's a right. trap or anything, so they don't know whether or not the perception check was just, like, right. a mundane thing or right. something insidious. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I had, this is like a, I had a case, I, I threw a devourer. If you don't know what that is, it's a very high CR thing that can consume a person's soul, instant kill them. Not instant kill them, but if they successfully get it off, it kills the person and they get their soul, which means no resurrection, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of hit it in the corner dead, like kind of like, oh, if they discover this would be kind of cool and they could put some things together like, oh, this is the way he used to gather soul. Now he gathers it in a different way. But no one, no one rolled it. And I was like, aw, no one wanted to look around the room. I had this thing planned and nobody liked it. Sad dead devourers crying in the corner. <laughs> That's right. So what kind of action is a perception check? Like when you make a perception check, is that a move action or what? When you're, when um, something happens to you and it's like your DM says, you know, roll a perception check. That's basically no action. That's reactive. Right. So, like, so, so if you were to define that immediate, I guess, right. or swift. I'd say uh, free action, but or you know, action, one okay. that you don't really take on your turn. It's basically a non-action. Okay. Unless you are intentionally searching for something. Mm-hmm. Like if you say, you know, I want to search this place for traps. You know, I want to look over there to see something. When you declare that you're doing it and it's not reactive, then it's a move action. Gotcha. That makes sense. Christian, can you try again? 
as long as whatever they're trying to perceive is still present in the world, yeah, they can try to see it again. There's no penalty for failure usually, and they can just roll a second time. So what's taking 20 like when in perception? Are you just like staring really hard at this thing? Like, I know there's something here. That's it. Wait. You know, I need, I need my dark vision. That's the problem. Too much. Turn off that light over there. Now give me give me 20 times the normal time to let my dark vision turn into plays. All right, cool. I got it. You sit there and you cup your ears listening really, really hard. That's right. Who ever said, like, who started that cupping your ears as if that magnified your hearing by 10? Oh, my gosh. I can hear the world now. <laughs> they don't have any rules pointed out for that, so it can't be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, certain races get uh, bonus to perception. Uh, uh, basically, every non-human race gets a bonus right. to perception. You'll notice that humans are some one of the only races that don't get a bonus to perception, and they don't get low light vision or dark vision. But that extra feat is really cool, and putting points wherever you want in your abilities is neat. Um, creatures with scent special quality get automatic plus eight to bonus perception checks made to detect the scent, which is great, I think, because it kind of really stands them out as that's the ability I have is the scent. And it's the same thing with uh, somebody who has tremor sense. Scent also falls under the perception skill. We don't want to get too deep into that because it's kind of a monster mechanic. It's not something that players regularly get. But um, just to note, scent is usually like when you want to locate the direction of someone using scent, it's a move action. What, uh, a fun thing to do if somebody, a little side note, if somebody fails their scent roll, like I had a, a player who had a wolf mm-hmm. and made a scent to try to track somebody. What I did is, like, like, he's got the scent, he goes, and they go, and they go back the opposite direction, not the way he's going, but the way he came from, and they went back to the start, and they're like, <sighs> <laughs> he's like, oh yeah, I smell that, I smell that thing. <laughs> I'm like, he looks happy, he looks like he, he looks happy, he's expecting a reward, and she's like, <sighs> I pat him on the head. <laughs> All right, um... That is perception. Pump your perception skill. Yep. Always max it out. I that's say, right. If you can afford it. Mm-hmm. Like, don't gimp yourself on other stuff if you're not someone that's... Like, if you're a fighter with low whiz, like, I wouldn't right. say max it. You can you certainly try if you have the spare skill points, but... I think I disagree. I don't think... I think no matter what, I'd, I'd shove everything in perception. I'd always... Every time I level up, brace it one tick. I mean, if you're only getting two skill points per level, though, and you're gonna have a low score anyway as a fighter, let's say, then I'd rather personally have, like, climb and swim, because those are stuff I'm actually good at. I'll leave the perceptioning to the investigator. I trust him. Okay, I think I think you do make a good point. I think a, a good rule like when you make your character is to put one point into every class skill you have, mm-hmm. and then from there. So I think I would say, now I'm gonna amend my thing to say, I long as I still have one point in every class skill, my next goal is to max perception and then to go back a lot of times i've seen people take the alertness feat um just because it it gives a bonus to perception and it's you've got some feet changed with alertness that are are, uh pretty good yeah i'm still saying perception is the most important skill and max it when you can but if you're someone that's not going to be good at it anyway Mm -hmm. and you don't get a lot of skill points don't let leave it to the rest of the team because they're probably going to be maxing it anyway that's a good point you make your point performances this is something i'm dealing with right now because i have a bard yeah, um, this is a very important skill for bards. Bards are going to be the mo- people that usually use performances because they have class skills based on it. Performance is a charisma-based skill, uh, and it's pretty much your skill that a form of entertainment, like singing, using an instrument, that kind of thing. Right. Um, you can make money off of this. Depending on your performance, you go perform in the city, and you can make a check and try and make money. 
Um, alternatively, the people that really care about perform skills are the bards. That's right. Bards have class skills that scale off of their performance checks. This is one of those things you might get, uh, kind of your backstory fits that. Like, I wanted to be, uh, I don't know, I was an actor. Then you're going to want to put uh, mm-hmm. into into this. And kind of like crafting um, and knowledge checks. If you remember, there's like a bunch of different kind of knowledge checks. There's a bunch of different uh, perf- uh, performance checks. And these are the kinds that you, you pick that and you put points in that and they, they, they're, they're separate. So if you have comedy performance and dance performance, you put points in them individually. Mm-hmm. There's a whole table you can look at here. It talks about how much money you can earn by rolling a performance check. It's you just get like amount of gold per day. Uh, it's not something, it's not like a super great way to earn money if you want to earn it a little bit. But generally I find my players more active doing a bunch of other things that, uh, I don't see this come up a lot. Right. Just but definitely to, there. Just to give some examples, uh, if you hit a DC 10, you're basically a street beggar, and you're earning 1D 10 copper a day. If you make a DC 15, it, it's pretty enjoyable. You're more like a street performer, and you're not really begging. You can earn 1D 10 silver pieces a day. A DC 20, so if you have a plus 10 and you take a 10, that means you're actually really good. This is a great performance, and you can earn 3D 10 silver in a day um, with your performance. DC 25 means it's very, very good, and in a prosperous city, if you're in a pretty big city with a lot of people you can make 1d6 gold a day which again 1d6 gold a day that's not a lot but if you're gonna have downtime there's no reason not to that's right now if you make a dc 30 this is an extraordinary performance and it, it states on the skill table that you you can earn 3d6 a day which again not great but it's you know that's a lot for a common folk and you might draw the attention from like nobles and such I like this. Or even from extra planar beings. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Genie really likes the way you dance. <laughs> All of a sudden, the heavens open up and an angel comes down. Hey, you want to come up here? Best retirement of a character ever. <laughs> uh, what kind of action does it take to do performances? Um, it varies. If you're doing that once a day check, then obviously it's going to take you the whole day or a few hours to do your performance. If you're in a stage show, it's going to take you however long the stage show takes. <laughs> if you're just begging on the street you can say how long you do it mm. um it's not really restrictive in how long it takes no and there's details about the bards specific perform things uh you can go listen to our bard episode to find out all about that uh can we try again yep you can re- you can retry uh long as they don't negate previous failures so if an audience has already been unimpressed by you they're not gonna be you know all of a sudden change your minds they're gonna be prejudiced against future performances and the dc gets increased a little bit mm-hmm now, uh, the only, like we said, bards, they need to have the skill, actually. In order to use their bardic performance, they have to have mm-hmm. ranks in at least one of these. Right. And just to note, the special thing that they do is, suppose you have a plus 10 to perform dance. Dance is a charisma-based skill. Um, bards get the ability to substitute their dance skill for, or their dance skill check, so they can use that plus 10 in place of their acrobatics or their fly skill. Mm-hmm. So suddenly fly and acrobatics are charisma-based skills instead of decks, and you don't actually have to put points into them because you're using your performance check instead. Right. All right, let's talk about professions. These are wisdom, and this is another one of those skills that you can use only if you're trained. Um, and it's this is the kind of thing, this is the, the backstories, the backstory person's um, great love here. This is what you, if I'm a butcher, I take profession butcher. If mm-hmm. I'm this, I take the profession this. Um, so it's whatever job you have, that's what you get. So if you have a good DM, uh, they'll use this. I think sometimes I'm bad, and if somebody has a profession, I I don't I don't give them like a reward for it. So if if 
just a little advice if you have a player who is like we said a butcher have something come up where they can use that check or think outside the box if they're in a thing and they're trying to figure out how somebody died maybe maybe he can make a if it was killed by a cleaver i don't know yeah then get <laughs> let him make that check but generally that check is kind of used for questions about their job they can roll and dc 10 for a basic question dc 15 for more advanced question um but that's just to kind of answer that stuff. And they can do anything. Like, I think if you have a profession blacksmith, then you can get some, like, discount on on different weapons and things and armors that you buy because you are able to, if you can rent a place, make them yourself. Yeah, this is a really, really short, short entry in the book as to what you can do with profession. And it's more of something that's subject to the DM discretion. You know, mm-hmm. if someone who is a uh, blacksmith, like, they can identify weapons better. Like, okay, can I use my profession blacksmith and know, like, who made this weapon, maybe what right. region it comes from, is it high craft, is it low craft, things like that. You could also, a little thing here is you can earn uh, gold pieces per week of dedicated work equal to your check. Half your check. Equal to half your check, you're so, right. So you work for a straight week. Oh, you, check you, result, which I think means you probably roll it. Yeah, yeah. You, you can take a 10. But you work for a week, you roll your profession check or take a 10. You obviously can't. I don't think you can take a 20 on that. And you earn gold equal to half of your check. Right. So, again, that's not a lot of money. Right. But, you but know, if you, if have, you two have two weeks down- of downtime, why not? Exactly. Um, What kind of action is it? It's usually not an action at all. It's just a single check, and then it's a week of work, so. Yeah. <laughs> the, Given the that actions of- represent less than six seconds, it's a whole lot. <laughs> a lot of actions. Uh, can you try again? That that really varies. Um, you know, if you try to earn money that week and you fail your check, you know, you already learned. If you rolled really low, you already earned like what two gold. Yeah, you, you can, can't. You can't go back in time and suddenly do the check again. You can reroll after a week though to do it for the next week. Um, when it comes to stuff like we mentioned, like trying to use your profession to know stuff about things in your profession, I treat it like a knowledge skill. And that it the first time you roll it, it represents what you know. Right. So I'd say no, you cannot try stuff like that again. I would say different questions let you roll different times because you might be more knowledgeable about a specific part of your job. But yeah, I think for the same question you roll it and that's it, you're done. Um, how many points do you want to put in this? I mean, like you said, this is really a backstory thing. I wouldn't, unless it was a profession that comes up a lot, like you were in a pirate campaign and you had profession sailor. I would only put a few points into it and leave it just to say that it is part of your backstory, but you're an adventurer now, so you're probably not being a butcher anymore. I agree. Now, uh, I don't know. Maybe you can answer. Is this the kind of thing where, like, if you add it, you automatically becomes a class skill for you and you get the bonus the first time you put in? Um, I think every class has profession as a class skill. Okay. So, all right, cool. So whatever you pick, you can, so at least put one point in, it's going to do work for you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's about ride. This is a dexterity-based uh, skill, and your armor check penalty does apply to it. And this is skill at riding mounts, which is generally a horse. Of course, it could be, you know, a camel. It could if you're be. a small creature, it could be a wolf or, you know, a giant honey badger. Or if you have the best DM ever, all of a sudden you have a pegasus. I, I had a unicorn once. Did you? <laughs> yes, it was nice. a sky pirate campaign. <laughs> I had griffins, but the way I made them is I said that, like, oh, they don't listen to you at all. Like, they listen to their master who told them to take you to this place. And you're not going to be able to uh, tell them what to do unless you roll an incredibly high ride check. You kind of have fun with that. Uh, but generally, it's just like for whatever mount you're going to grab on your horse or something like that. Now, ride coincides with mounted combat, which is Cavalier's thing. And there's a uh, slew of rules on that that I don't think we want to get too much into because mounted combat is its own 
Corpse thing, which we'll cover in extra credit. But uh, let's talk about just riding. Typically, uh, riding it itself doesn't uh, require a check, which is kind of like the first thing I think a lot of people make a mistake is like, oh man, I got a one on riding. I can never ride a horse. Well, no, you can. It's just that you're not the best at it. Right. But pretty much everyone can ride a horse. Mm-hmm. They figure in this world, it's kind of like, it's just everyone needs to learn it. It's a, a life skill back in this time that everyone knows how to ride a horse. Yeah. But it's what you can do while on that horse. So if you make a DC-5 ride check, you can r- guide it with your knees. So you don't need to use your hands and you can use a weapon. That's right. And that's just that's just a DC-5. So mm-hmm. if you have like one point in ride, it's a class skill, you can do that. Another one is DC-5 to stay in saddle. Which is, uh, you can try to avo- uh, avoid falling if your mount rears or bolts unexpectedly or something like that. Which it will do if it's not combat trained. Right. Uh, you got a DC-10 to fight with a combat trained mount. With a DC-15 ride check, you can kind of drop to the side of your mount and use it at co- as cover. Which is really mean. <laughs> I hope it's wearing armor if you're doing this. <laughs> hey, better it than me. I can buy another one. I don't want to have to roll a new character. Uh, DC 15, which is to solve fall, which is to negate damage when you fall off a mount. Uh, if you fail check, you take 1d6 points of damage and are prone. With a DC 15 ride check, you can leap off your mount to try and get over obstacles, or you can try and get your mount itself to leap over obstacles. With a DC 15, you can spur mount, which is you can spur it to move at a greater speed with a move action. Uh, an ex- a successful ride check increases the mount speed by 10 feet for one round, but deals 1d3 points of damage to the creature. Eh, that's not like too bad. Yeah. It's just so that you don't do it. It's it, it, it's it's so you don't do it every time. You just like treat it as if the speed is higher than it than it should be. The mount does become fatigued after a number of rounds equal to its constitution score, which you have spurred it on, and you cannot use this on a fatigued mount. Uh, if you have a mount that is not combat trained, and something comes up and tries to hit you in melee, um, you have to make a DC twenty ride check in order to keep that. Uh, Mount from fleeing battle. Or yeah, keep control or of it. Yeah. Um, which is good because actually combat train mounts uh, are expensive. Yes. And if you, unless you have certain like super great handle animal and you want to spend a lot of time making your own horse combat mount, like a lot of times you're not going to get a combat mount unless it's your class. Right. To fast mount or dismount is another DC 20, which is just so you can attempt to mount it or dismount it. Uh, Oh, up to one size category larger than yourself, which I think all horses and stuff are large and not medium. Yeah, a mountain has to be one size category larger than you. But you can do that as a free action. If you fail, it's just like a usual, it's a move action. Now, all these checks are free actions, except for um, specifically mounting it and dismounting a horse is a move action. Uh, if you're riding bareback, you get a minus five penalty on ride checks, so buy a saddle. If you have a military saddle, you get a plus two bonus on ride checks to stay in the saddle. Um, and you need to have points in the ride skill in order to take a lot of combat mount-related feats. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of thing where uh, uh, I think you should, kind of like when we talk about fly, there's a certain amount of points you want to put into it. That way you don't have to make these checks. Mm-hmm. If you want to ride a lot and you're not a cavalier or whatever who already get bonuses and things to that, mm-hmm. then you should put a minimum of points in here. Maybe I would say probably till you have a score of 10, 15 if you really don't want to roll at all. Yeah, and, you know, grab yourself a military saddle if you know you're going to be on the horse a lot and in combat. And, you know, get this up to a respectable score, but you don't have to keep it maxed out. I agree. I would um, say I would say spend the time to get a military train mount and then just maybe put it up to 10. And, and then you, it's very rare that you roll less than a 5. Important to note for cavaliers, 
they do not take their armor check penalty on this ability with their specific mount. Cavaliers get their own personal mount, right. and they can wear whatever armor they want, and it does not affect their ride skill it's on that mount. One of the only ways that you can wear full plate mail and still have good checks on a horse. Yes. All right, now let's talk about sense motive. Um, this is a wisdom-based skill, and it, it's your ability to detect falsehoods and true intentions. Yeah, the number one use of this ability is it's a post-check to bluff skills. Right. When someone tries to lie to you, you can say, you know, I don't think that's true. I'm going to sense motive on that. Mm-hmm. But there, uh, instead of being reactive, there are a few types of things you can use with sense motive in order to do it, you know, on your own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I should use these more because I don't use these. Usually it's just the counter bluffs. And I'm glad this is here. So let's, let's explore a little bit and see what this is. Uh, one is hunch with a sense motive check of 20. Uh, you can use a skill to make a gut assessment of the social situation. So you can get the feeling that, that there's something wrong with the guy. Like, say a guy's trying to deceive you, but he's trying he's trying not to look like he is. Mm-hmm. You can roll and you get the gut feeling, wait, there's something wrong with this guy. He's being too nice or something like that. There's something wrong. And you can get that gut feeling that, that something's amiss. And you can get the feeling if somebody's trustworthy or not. I personally don't like that one because it lists, um, you, it's just a DC 20 to notice that their behavior is wrong, such as when you're talking to an imposter. Just a flat DC twenty. So like, what if you're like in a level, you know, twenty campaign, and you know you're the, the, per- the, per- the person impostering is a you know a sucky. Just to give an extreme example, it's like a succubus with super high disguise and bluff skills. Right. You know, you, it's just a DC twenty to know that they're lying. I or to know that they're an imposter. I don't. Uh, that one's a bit iffy for me. You personally. think it's too low or too high? I think it's way too low. I don't. I, think- I don't think that's a, it should be. A, it should be a flat DC if it's someone's trying to pose as somebody else. Cause that's I got even, you. That's even something that PCs get. I know there's some archetypes for like investigator where you can literally pose as somebody else and change your voice, and there's yeah. mechanics for that. And you it, know, if, I agree. if an NPC could just make a DC twenty and be like, I think you're lying. I think that's really really low. You're right. I think it should be like twenty plus. Whatever they're using, a disguise check or whatever, I think. Or, or not DC-20, but a flat DC plus whatever their check is. Right. So somebody some, some is better at it, they should get a bonus. I agree. That's something you might well house rule play around a little bit with. Although I would like it better for, like, if suppose you're at, like, a noble dinner. Mm-hmm. And, like, you feel like there's some antipathy in the air between, you know, either two different noble parties or something like that. I think that would be a much better use of the hunch skill. I agree. And But, you know, 20 is no slouch. So for lesser level campaigns, that would be tough. True. Um, why don't you talk to us about sense enchantment? Yeah, so if you're talking to somebody and they are under the effect of, say, charm person or dominate person... You can use sense motive to try and discern that if you think that they are indeed charmed and they don't know about it. Um, typically, if it's just something like charm person where they just feel favorably towards somebody else, the DC is going to be a 25. So it's actually kind of hard to determine that someone is enchanted, you know, subtly by something like charm person. But if they are dominated by somebody else, which means that they listen to that person's every single whim, mm-hmm. it's actually much easier to tell because they have a very limited range of the things they can say and do. So that DC is only a 15. Gotcha. So to, to see that, uh, to see like how much control my wife has over me, it's just, it's really, you know, it's a DC, it's a DC 15 because I'm dominated. <laughs> um. So if you, if you have, roll to, to see who who's the sub and who's the dom. Okay. <laughs> oh so if you have a plus five and you take a ten, you that's actually a very easy thing to see. Love is like magic. Am I right, people? <laughs> it's like enchantment magic. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> if you fail, you will save. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I act like such a fool? Uh, to discern a secret message, you can use sense motive to detect a hidden message that's being transmitted via the bluff skill, which we went over earlier when we did bluff. Yeah, so if you wanted to suppose... 
send a secret message to your ally that you think someone else is, you know, a werewolf, you would say something, like, really subtle to them, like, you know, I think the stuffed animal factory is running out of <laughs> fluff. And if the werewolf heard that, he could try and make a sense motive check. I want to do a whole episode where you just come up with different euphemisms and things for secret messages. <laughs> what would you say if you think the person's a vampire? A vampire? Yeah. Call the cleaning lady, it's getting dusty in here. I don't know. <laughs> vampire dust? Is that too much? Is that too far? I need to wax and wan my car? I don't know. <laughs> my car! My horse! My horse. <laughs> oh no! We're playing DD next now. We'll see. I mean, DD modern. <laughs> I know I'm not British right now, but I'm getting pretty bloody angry <laughs> about this enemy right here. Am I right? Am I right, guys? This very pale, tall, fanged enemy. Bloody. You guys getting it yet? You guys getting it? <laughs> so, so if you were the vampire or werewolf in that scenario, you could make a sense of check to be like, why are they talking about such weird crap? <laughs> yeah, why about tall, pale, fang, and blood? Wait a second. They roll one. Nope. Not out of the blue. Everything's normal here. <laughs> Oh, uh, boy. Uh, what kind of action is it to gain information with sense motive generally takes at least one minute, so you could spend a whole... Or you could spend a whole evening and get a sense of the people around you. That's kind yeah. of a weird one. It, it's very... It's a really variable thing. So, you know, if someone's just lying to you and you make a sense motive check, you know, that's just a, just a reactive thing. It's kind of a non-action. Right. If you're looking someone up and down and listening to the things they're saying and trying to figure out their sleazeball or not, it's going to take a minute for you to determine that. Gotcha. If, if you're in that noble dinner kind of setting, you're going to sit there the whole dinner and you're going to be listening to the things people say and right. try and get a hunch about them. That's you need gonna, information. Yeah, that's going to take the whole night. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, can you try again? Nope. Nope. Um, once someone's bluffed you, you believe them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or not necessarily you believe them. Uh, if you fail a sense motive check, it means that what they're saying, they you believe that they don't think they're lying to you. Mm-hmm. So you can still be suspicious of somebody if you fail a sense motive check against them. But the thing that they specifically said, um, you be- you believe it or you believe that they believe it. Mm-hmm. They're not intentionally trying to deceive you. When it comes to PCs bluffing each other and sense motiving each other... Uh, generally what I kind of do is like if if the person is just plain old lying and nobody knows otherwise I don't make any rules I just let them tell a lie and see whether or not the other PCs believe him mm-hmm. but if it's like information that everybody knows he's lying because I said it to him and everyone was there around him like I said okay the book has a spell for fireball in it and you're like oh nothing it just has detect magic spell nobody needs this <laughs> uh, then I let my players roll and I rely on them to play their characters well if they fail it they have to believe him Right. The rules outlined for sense, motive, bluff, and diplomacy are meant to be interactions between the players and NPCs. Mm-hmm. I personally don't like it when PCs try to use it against each other because it turns your characters into numbers rather than people. Right. Um, when it comes to bluff and sense motive between players, I say, you know, usually what I say is don't roll. You decide whether or not your character would believe this or not. Right. And, you know, most people handle it pretty well. No one's like, no, I don't believe them if it was something very, very believable or something right. like that. Um, I think the most I've ever seen players try to lie to each other was one one was trying to uh, it's almost always trying to to say oh no there's less treasure than there is right almost always it's kind of been fun everybody kind of laughs at that Although one that was kind of serious was um, somebody uh, died that was close to a player and they didn't have time to bury the person so they just went out in the back and put him in a carpet and threw him in the alleyway and when the player asked what did you do with my friend they said oh we buried them you know you know, at, at a spot over the hill and she was like looking at me I'm like I'm sorry you gotta roll I, you know they're lying as a person so right. you're pl- as a player your character 
you're going to bring that in, so you got to roll. That was probably the most intense one, uh, and she failed. And oh, so she man. believed him, and she hated everybody the rest of the day. So, you know, like you were saying, it's, it's, it's best not to try to, to roll against each other. You get some animosity towards other players. Right, you never want that. No, no, no. Sense motive. How many points did you put into that? I really, really like sense motive. If you're someone with a high wisdom, I would max it. Since it scales off of wisdom and it's a post-check. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, if you're not the guy who's going to be trying to see through people lying to you, I'd get it to like a plus 10 or so, just so you can do the uh, flat DCs, the hunch, and the uh, sensing enchantments. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty good with you. If you want to be the kind of person who's good at detecting lies, a lot of times you're going to spend all your points in the bluff and sense motive, and uh, the and maybe the perception, kind of throw them all into there. But if you are not, if you don't want to be that kind of person, I think I agree with you. Get to plus 10 and you're good to go. Um, but, you know, sometimes deciphering a lie can really be the difference between life and death, whereas time, how much something is worth it in praise isn't. Right. Sleight of hand, deck space skill, uh, and it's it's got the trifecta, it's got the, uh, it's the double whammy. It is armor, it does have the armor check penalty, and it's trained all. Right. Um, typically, uh, rogues, I think, from the core are one of the only people that get sleight of hand. Mm-hmm. Um, this is obviously um, picking pockets, picking up things without people noticing, things like that. Right. I just want to be clear uh, what Christian just said. Rogues get it as a class skill, but everyone can put points into it to train themselves in it. Right. Once you put one point, you are then trained Correct. in yeah. that skill. Which makes you, you might want to say, oh, I'll just put one point in everything that I need to have trained into. Uh, not really, because sometimes if you, if like, say you had negative decks, then all of a sudden, like, oh, great, I can, I have trained in sleight of hand, but I've got a negative two in it. Right. It's, it's an opposed wor- check. It's not a right. Black yeah, easy. don't just train yourself to do it. Generally, you want to be good at something. But anyway, this allows you to pick pockets, draw hidden weapons, take a variety of actions without being noticed. Right. So just give a list of the, well, the two they give. Uh, it's a ten DC sleight of hand check in order to palm a coin sized object. Now that flat check is just to see if you can do it. You make that DC check, you know, suppose you roll the 22 uh, with your sleight of hand. You succeeded. You pick up that small object. Um, but other people nearby get an opposed perception check to see if they notice you doing it. Mm-hmm. The DC 10 is just to see if you succeed at actually picking it up. You don't fumble and drop it. Gotcha. And they only really get that check if they're determined to know where it went. If, if, if your friend's doing a magic trick to you, often you don't, like, try to figure out how they're doing. You're just kind of enjoying the trick. Mm-hmm. So if that kind of thing's happening in the game, no one's making a check. But if the, if you're the jerk who comes up and is like, I'm going to figure this guy. Oh, it's behind his hand. Behind his hand. <laughs> I saw it. Then that guy gets a check. Right. It's a DC 20 to lift a small object from a person. Uh, this is out of combat use. In combat, if you want to pickpocket someone or lift something off them, there is a combat maneuver called steel you have to use. But out of combat, walking down the street, you want to pickpocket someone or pick an item off them. You roll sleight of hand. Suppose you get a 25. You beat the DC of 20. The person you're pickpocketing, though, gets an opposed perception check to see if they can beat your DC 25. You still grab the item, but they notice it. And then, you know, you'll probably roll initiative and the guards will be called and you're going to run and, you know, the normal. The picture they have here is somebody trying to steal keys from an an orc and they're in jail. Mm. So it's like you could get the keys, but if if he... Succeeds his perception check, which is hard because sleeping at like a minus ten or something. Uh, he wakes up and notices you did it. Right. But if you if you if he fails it and you succeed, you've got the key and he's still asleep. Um, let me look at this easily. Concealed range weapon stuff. Yeah, it's used for concealing weapons too. This one it comes up kind of fairly often, at least when I in my campaigns. Usually, like they're going someplace and they say, "Please give me all your armor and crap uh, and weapons and things." And inevitably, there's always at least one player who goes. I hide my sword in my cloak, and I'm like, <laughs> okay. So, 
Which, by the way, guys, don't do that. You're risking, like, the entire adventure and everyone's gonna be killed and his animosity towards you because you want to have a sword just in case something happens. <laughs> so annoying. But if, if your DM is... I mean, unless it's a situation where you know that's the case. If your DM's the kind of person who would bring you a place, take all your armors and weapons, and then kill you, <laughs> you... If that happens, just me. <laughs> <laughs> um... But, uh, so, it's just a sleight of hand check opposed by the perception check of anyone observing you or trying to frisk you. Um, but if the person is trying to frisk you, he gets a plus four to the check. Since it's easier to find an object, uh, if, if you're feeling, as opposed to just looking. Um, certain things like daggers, you get a plus two bonus on daggers because they're easier to hide because they're small. Pretty much any light, oh, no, that's easier than most light weapons, okay. Yeah, daggers are small. Oh, so you can only conceal light weapons. Yeah, you cannot you cannot conceal a three big old sword. My, my great axe isn't going right, in my no. pocket. <laughs> no, not any sort of pocket. Um, but your short sword, yeah, or, you know, your sow. Small things like shurikens, coins, rings, they get you a plus four bonus on your sleight of hand check. And uh, if you have heavier baggy cloaking, like a cloak, you get a plus two bonus on that check. Which is good to know because I haven't been giving my players these bonuses. From now on, I will. Yeah, I had to look this up because I recently made a character that's kind of the pickpocket archetype. They wear a big baggy cloak with, like, redundant pockets sewn in. So nice. people have trouble frisking him and things like that. Nice. Uh, what kind of actions does it take to do these to do these things? Uh, when you're pickpocketing or hiding an object on your body, it is a standard action. But if you want to, you can make it a move action, but you take a minus 20 on the check, which is a Boy. huge penalty. I guess this is the, like, someone immediately wants, like, is going to, you know, you're about to check you and you have no time. And, like, this is your only chance. I can't think of another reason I'd use it as a move action. Right. I mean, unless you, yeah, yeah, that's really, really, there are some archetypes and some, I think, maybe feats or rogue talents that reduce that penalty, but it's still usually at least a minus 10. Which, again, is gigantic. Can you do it again? Surprisingly, yes. But after initial failure, a second slave hand attempt against the same target uh, increases the DC for that task by 10. And it so, will increase the DC even more if they cut your fingers off as retribution for trying to pickpocket them. This is true. <laughs> if if you're just trying to do some magic tricks, some acts of ledger main, as they say, and you fail one and the guy sees it, he you can still continue, but he's got more chance to see your future, uh, your future tricks. But yeah, like the thing where you're trying to steal somebody, chances, yeah, you can try again, but chances are they're not going to give you that opportunity. Right. Uh, now, when it comes to hiding weapons on your person, this is the kind of skill where I believe you can take a 20. So at the beginning of the day, you want to have a dagger hit on your person, gotcha. take a 20 to slay the hand. You know, the dagger's already easy to conceal, maybe a baggy clothing. Mm-hmm. Right there, just off the bat, that's a, like a 24, that's, right. that's like a 26 DC right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You can do some sleight of hands untrained, but it has to be a DC no higher than 10, and you just use your dex modifier. But you still can't hide, but you can't hide an object on your body. So pretty much you can try to do simple little magic tricks, but nothing that'll do anything for you really when it comes to gameplay. Right. So how many points would you put in a sleight of hand? It's an opposed check, so um, if I'm someone that is going to be concentrating on sleight of hand, I'm going to keep that maxed. Really? Yes. And it's a... For instance, the character I made, he relies on hidden weapons in order to get sneak attacks off in the opening round. So it's opposing someone else's perception. How does that work? In the surprise, he had there's a special item called spring loaded wrist sheaths, or just regular wrist sheaths, where you get a bonus on your sleight of hand check Mm -hmm. to hide the item. There is a rogue talent called underhanded, where if you attack with an item they do not know about, in the surprise round you get bonus damage. That's really cool. That kind of seems very specific to me. I think if if I wasn't going that route, I want to put a lot of points in here because. Only real good thing you're doing here is hiding weapons. I don't need to 
do little magic tricks and palm coins objects. Unless I'm stealing all the freaking time like a big jerk. Uh, yeah, you're it's not right, something actually. I would keep maxed. I would, if I if I, I mean, that kind of person, I'm a rogue, right? I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna put some points into it. Maybe get up to a ten, um, maybe a fifteen, but I wouldn't keep it maxed. I don't think. Yeah, no, you're you're definitely right. I I agree with that. But that one thing you're doing, that's like a very special thing, and you're relying on that for a sneak attack. So I I think it's it's fine then in that case to do a little more. Right, no, no, I think you're entirely right. It's not something you should normally max if you're not super focused on it. This is Spellcraft. Now, this is an intelligence-based skill, and it is trained only. And this is something I actually personally don't know a lot about, so I'm, I'm interested to learn here. Spellcraft is a character's experience with the art of magic, both divine and arcane. They can identify spells, they can identify ma spells on magic items, they can make magic items, and they can identify spells as they're being cast. Uh, so suppose you see an enemy casting a spell. You can make a spellcraft check as they as an immediate action, kind of more as a non-action, to see if you know what spell it is. Um, suppose you pick up a magic item and you detect magic on it, and you want to know, you know, what is the magic on the sword? You can use spellcraft, and you're like, oh, okay, it's a flaming longsword. It's a plus one flaming longsword. There's a couple of very common spells. One is detect magic, and the other one's identify. You use detect magic to say, oh, this is a magical sword. And then you use spellcraft to figure out what exactly the enchantment is. Right. And then identify, it just gives you a plus 10 to that. Exactly. Gotcha. Um, if you're using spellcraft or your character with spellcraft, a high spellcraft, you're really going to want to take the spell detect magic if you don't have it because mm -hmm. a lot of its uses stem from being able to detect the magic in the first place. Right. And uh, almost every time you get a magical weapon, it, it comes into use. Everybody always wants to know what it is. Exactly. I, t I sometimes hand wave that if it's something very, very common because, like, just because you rolled low on a spellcraft check, I don't want you to know that's not a plus one weapon. So I have to keep track of all the stuff in right. my head. I know. We have more than enough. I'm with you. Um... But um, it can be used without detect the detect magic spell. Like, suppose you saw someone making a big old ritual circle. You can examine that ritual circle and try to determine with spellcraft exactly what they're doing, what mm -hmm. they're trying to achieve with that spell circle. So without detect magic, can I, can I, can I figure out if a sword is magical? Uh, with the appraise skill. Can I just use spellcraft? No. Oh, you're right, with the appraise skill. So unless I know via detect magic or the appraise skill, I'm not allowed to use the spellcraft check. Right, you gotcha. uh, you need to do that first in order to use your spellcraft check. Okay, that makes sense. I'm learning so much here. <laughs> Let's see. So just to give out some DCs, um, if you want to identify a spell as someone's casting it, it'll be 15 plus the spell level of the spell they're casting. And that's probably an immediate action, I take it? Yeah, it's a non-action kind of. Oh yeah, it says no action. Gotcha. Uh, if you have someone else's spell book or you find a scroll and you want to learn the spell off that scroll or spell book, if you're a wizard... Um, you take, the DC would be 15 plus the spell level. Is that one, you could take a 20 on that? Yeah, I don't see why not. Um, and that is one that I think you would also need read magic. Another level zero spell that's very important for spellcraft. Okay. Um, so if you want to, you're a wizard, you have your own spell book. If you want to prepare a spell from someone else's spell book, you have to make a spellcraft DC of 15 plus the spell level. Okay. To identify the properties of a magical item using detect magic, it is a DC 15 plus the item's caster level, which most magical items will have a caster level listed on it in its little stat block. If you have a scroll and you want to figure out what spells on it, it's a DC spellcraft 20 plus the spell level. And if you want to make a magic item, that varies, and that's in the craft skill, and we're not going to get into that here. I'm surprised it's so high to decipher a scroll. You think 
being into a, being able to identify a spell that's written out would be pretty easy. Right, yeah, that, that one surprises me, and I think that's actually one that I had been doing wrong. I think I've been doing 15-plus spell level like it was a regular spell. And I don't think that's a super bad house rule if you continue to do that. Yeah, I don't... It's never fun. Like, it does happen sometimes, but it's never fun to give someone, like, a scroll or a wand. It's like, you don't know what it does. Right. So right. they basically have a useless piece of paper or a useless wand sitting right. in their inventory that they're going to forget about. When you know it was lesser restoration and they're getting attacked by snakes the whole time. <laughs> right. Um, if you're a specialist wizard, you get a plus two bonus on spellcraft checks made to identify, learn, and prepare spells from your chosen school. And you get a minus five penalty to checks made concerning spells from your opposition school. Z. Yeah, when you're a wizard, you pick one school that you really like and you pick two schools you don't like. Mm-hmm. So you just get a bonus on the ones you do like and the penalty on the ones you don't. Now, uh, when it comes to retrying spellcraft, um, it varies on the action you're trying to take. Obviously, if you fail to identify a spell, you cannot retry. Um, they stopped casting the spell by then, and you're not going to try and look back and remember and be like, what the hell did they say? <laughs> what was that spell? Um, if you're trying to learn a spell from a spellbook or a scroll and you fail, you can try again, but you have to wait a, wait a week, which is kind of an arbitrary restriction, but I see why that's in place. <laughs> if you try to prepare a spell from a borrowed spellbook, you can't try again until the next day because you can only prepare spells once a day. Uh, when you're using Detect Magic or Identify or Learn the Properties of Magical Items, you can only do that once a day. If you try again the same day, you're going to get the same results. How many p- points would you put into Spellcraft? If I am a like wizard or something, I tend to keep this pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing the DCs aren't particularly hard, but knowing whether the BBEG casts Dimension Door or Planar Travel... You know, that's going to be a really big difference in how you proceed from there. Um, identifying magic items is another really big deal, and they tend to be plot hooks. So if you don't know, like, what the deal with this magical sword is, you might not be able to proceed. So I personally like to keep spellcraft maxed if I am that kind of character. Yeah, if if you're not a wizard, if you're a fighter, I honestly don't think you should put any points into it. You've got other people who do it a whole lot better than you. Right. There's not a whole lot of reason to put points into this. If, if you're not a magic user. Basically, if you're anyone that can cast Detect Magic, you should probably have at least a few points in this. But if you're like a wizard or someone that scales off of Int and has Spellcraft, I would personally keep it maxed. Or at least very high. I agree. So about Stealth. This is one I kind of use pretty often. It's Dexterity-based skill. Armor check penalty does apply. You're wearing uh, full plate armor. You're yeah. not sneaking through the bushes. <laughs> ka-chink, 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 ka-chink. I'm a bird. <laughs> tweet, tweet. <laughs> Uh, this is just being skilled at avoiding detection, uh, sneak past guys and stuff, and moving silently and that kind of stuff. Now, I want to specify before we get into stealth, stealth does not make you invisible. If you want to sneak, you need something to hide behind, or you need to be in darkness and the person trying to perceive you can't have dark vision. You can't just, like, sneak down a open passageway. You don't have any cover. People don't have to make a perception check because you're just standing there. Right. The environment down. has to be right. Exactly. Like, people think that Scenarios. they can make stealth. Because there's no concept of facing in Pathfinder, so you can't, quote-unquote, sneak up on somebody. Right. I mean, there are circumstances where I do allow that if someone's facing a certain way right. and you're out of combat. But, like, in combat, mm-hmm. there's no concept of direction facing. Yep. So you, if you don't have anything to hide behind, people can technically see you. That's a, it's a little bonus thing there that uh, Christian's telling you there. If you look at uh, the pieces on the board, if you play with the board, they're all perfectly square. There's no, like, elongated one, and this is his head, and this is his tail. Even dragons are perfectly square because of the facing directions. Right. Um, 
Your check is opposed by the perception check of anyone who might notice you. So if you're trying to sneak past a guard, he gets to roll perception, you roll your stealth, you're trying to sneak in the shadows, and then you see who wins. When moving a speed greater than half but less than your normal speed, you take a minus five penalty. So generally you want to move about half speed if you're really trying to sneak so you don't get any you know disadvantages. There are a few ways around that. I think there's some feats and a rogue talent called fast stealth where you can move at full speed uh, with your stealth, right. stealthing uh, with no penalty. That's right. Um, you can't use stealth when you're attacking, running, or charging. Obs. Um, you get a bonus or a penalty on stealth depending on your size. Obviously, if you're a small creature or diminutive or tiny, you're going to get a bonus. And if you're a large or huge or colossal creature, you're going to get a penalty. Mm-hmm. If anyone's observing you using any of their senses, typically sight, you can't use yourself. They say typically because if a dog is, is set on you, he gets sent and things like right. that. But generally, it's somebody looking at you. Uh, you can't use it. Like you are saying, the environment has to be right. The situation has to be right. Um, oh, cool. In battle... If you find cover or concealment, then you can use stealth. I've almost never seen somebody try to use stealth in a battle. The whole idea is, like, I want to reposition myself without him knowing. He thinks I'm still behind that boulder, and now I've snuck up behind him. Right. Um, the stealth mechanics in Pathfinder have been uh, changed before on how the cover, moving from cover to cover works. But typically, yeah, if you have something to hide behind in combat, you can try and hide behind it and make a stealth check. Granted, they if it's just a pillar, they're going to assume you're still behind the pillar. <laughs> But at the, as the time being, they don't technically see you. What you're saying here, going from pillar to pillar, is you make the check, but at a minus 10 penalty because you have to move fast. Right. So you make the check to get out of sight, and then when you want to move to the next space and there's some, there isn't continuous cover, you roll again with a minus 10. Uh, that's something I've seen, but I think I, I would like to see it used more. I would definitely reward my player if he wanted to go through with this. I would totally, I would make the guy, like, even seem even stupider. Like, he would go over to where the guy was and things. I'd, I'd definitely reward them for doing this. Right. Um, as written, the stealth rules are kind of really difficult to utilize. I tend to be more lenient with how stealth works, personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we said, uh, if you start your turn and you're behind cover, you can try and move to another piece of cover without being noticed with a stealth check. And if you want to snipe them, go out, shoot the arrow and hide back behind cover. You make another stealth check again, and you get a minus 20 penalty on your stealth check to maintain your unobserved location. Obscured location, whatever. Now, a use of stealth in combat is you point and say, hey, what's that over there? And and, and everybody looks, and then you go and hide. (laughs) And you go and hide behind. What's a blimp? (laughs) What's good here? Is someone waxing that car? (laughs) Uh, what, what is he doing to that horse? <laughs> Wait, what? Are there vampires here? <laughs> but um, you use your bluffs check, uh, opposed to their sense motive, I believe. And if you succeed, you get a momentary diversion. You can try and make a stealth check around these people. Well, two different checks. That's tough. Yeah. It's, yeah, these aren't, like, very conducive to using them often. Now, when you're making a stealth check, it's typically part of a move action, like you're moving from place to place. Mm-hmm. So it, stealth is technically a non-action, but you're... Typically moving. But if you're using stealth after using that range attack snipe thing, it is a move action. Right. Um, if you're invisible, you gain a plus 40 bonus in stealth checks. If you're not moving. And if you're plus 20, if you are. Uh, and this is the kind of thing where those kind of high DCs will come into account. If you're uh, a ninja and you take that thing that lets you go invisible or a potion or a spell, then you can move place to place and you get better chance. Generally, I hand wave this. If somebody's invisible and they're in battle, I just let them have it. I don't let them, they don't make them make checks unless someone has to detect the visibility. Yeah. Then or if they have a stupidly high perception check. For maybe reason. if they were trying to run like directly adjacent to like a bunch of different creatures, then maybe I would, but right. generally they don't do that. They just come around and pop up next to them. And, and that's where um, stealth used to be separated into hide and move silently. So when you were invisible, 
you couldn't be seen, but you still had to move silently. Right. So now move silently falls under the stealth check as well. How many points did you put in this? If I'm a character who relies on stealth, like a rogue, I'm going to max this. I agree. There's a lot of stuff you can do with stealth. Um, it becomes less good later in the game because a lot of creatures have things like tremor sense or blind sense, but there are ways around that as well if you have a high stealth. Or freaking true sight. Yeah, true sight. That's fun too. <laughs> um, well, no, that's not for illusions and stuff. I think it's like for everything. Yeah, probably. Well, I'll tell you one thing: don't use it on Cthulhu. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you guys look up what happens when you do it on Cthulhu in the Bestiary Four. It's really fun. Um, but I would say any character needs stealth because a lot of times, at least in my campaigns, people are trying to sneak or whatever, get past things. Uh, just during the gameplay, not even during battle. Um, and they need to all make stealth checks. And my paladin's like, well, I'm going to fail this one. <laughs> you know, so I think it's good for everyone to put points into this. I would bring it, if I'm not, if I'm just a normal player who's not particularly into stealth, I'd actually probably bring it up to around plus 10. Yeah, plus 5, plus 10. You bring up a good point, and uh, it's something that I had a problem with before because I had a very stealthy character in a team of not stealthy people. <laughs> and it brings up the scouting problem where the stealthy person goes ahead sneakily and looks at the tries to observe what's going on wherever they're trying to get in and then relays back to the team sounds fine but in gameplay wise it's really boring if you're not the guy who's and if you get caught you're the only one out there exactly and it's gonna suck time to make this perception checks to hear battle (laughs) and like and remember enemies can hide from you too so you might be stealthing around just because you're stealthy right someone else might be stealthing too and you might not know until you bump into each other and it's like oh now it's a stealth battle and your team doesn't even know what's going on help me out with this christian if say two people are hiding I go out scout, and this they have a they have a, a sentry out there, and he's hiding, and uh, you know he's stealthing, and he's looking, and he sees you. Do I tell my player you get a perception check, or do they do not get it unless they declare to me I want to look around for sentries? I would say that if they're hi- if the person is trying to hide from them, the guard's trying to be undetected, the sentry's yeah. trying to be undetected, they have to make a stealth check, and they get a perception check. Okay. And that perception check is subject to, you know, the plus one DC for every 10 feet. So I just give it to them. I don't, I don't, they don't have to say, I'll tell me. I'll just give it to them. Right. Yeah. I mean, you just do it behind your screen. Just don't let them know about it. Cause then it gets into the, like the fact that like, oh, you didn't make a perception check to see the person standing right next to you. Like right, you, don't, right. you don't have to declare a perception check just to see the world around you. Okay. I agree. Yep. So just do it behind your desk. Know their bonus. Add it and then say, okay, as you're sneaking in, you notice something. And then you roll for the guys. You, you both s- lock eyes. <laughs> you see this guy looking at you from the bushes. <laughs> and then you start running back. You're like, the cat's out of the bag. Repeat, the cat has left the bag. <laughs> Five orcs are <laughs> chasing him. It's a stealthy orc. <laughs> uh, let's talk about survival. It's a wisdom-based skill. And this is about surviving the wild and navigating the wilderness. Uh, you know, track, getting food, finding water, being able to figure out where you're going to go. Tracking tracks. Um, yeah, survival is a very versatile ability. This is your ranger's favorite skill. Yes. Um, just to give some DCs. Washington. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> These are really long. So with a DC 10, you can get along in the wild, meaning, you know, you can move and forage at the same time. You don't need to... You are getting food and water as necessary with a DC 10. Uh, you fight enough for just... You and one other person for every two points by which your check exceeds 10. So if you have a 10, it's just you. You get 12, it's you and another, and yada, yada, yada. Right. So having just one right there, just having one person with a good survival DC or a good survival skill means that the rest of the party doesn't need it. And you can feed the whole party, yep. Uh, let's say you have a survival DC check of 15. Is you get a, This is a very interesting one. I've had come up only once. You get a plus two bonus on all fortitude saves against severe weather while moving up to half your overland speed. And you get a plus four bonus if you remain stationary. Um, 
I had somebody walk. They were like walking in the winter with no towns for a very long period in between. And they were trying to, they spent all their money on, you know, lodging and then having money left over for food. Mm. And uh, so, um, and then like the, the weather got like more severe, everyone had to make saves. And I told the person who was a ranger, I'm like, you can get a bonus if you use the survival. So it's only come up once, but it is kind of cool. Right. It just came up for me actually not too long ago because we're all running a desert kind of campaign. So this actually does come up a lot oh. for us. Um, but everyone has Endure Elements by now, so it's not a problem. Um, with a DC 15 survival check, you can keep from getting lost and avoid natural hazards such as quicksand. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty useful one. I like that. Uh, I've, I've used the lost one like pr- pretty often. If anyone's like in the woods, I'm like, you gotta make a survival check to see if you know where you're going. Right. Uh, because you can get turned around and stuff. You can do the lost woods like from Zelda. <laughs> Stop the music. <laughs> I know where we are. <laughs> um... And another one, DC 15, predict the weather up to 24 hours in advance. And for every five points, which your survival check result exceeds 15, you predict the weather for one additional day in advance. You can see through time if you have a really, really high check. I have not seen anyone use this, and I wanted them to. It's kind of cool. You could be a meteorologist. It's great. (laughs) I've had had NPCs do it, and he's like, "Uh, let's get out of the rain. They're like, it's not raining. People need to use this more. It's cool. It's, it's definitely good flavor. So yeah, um, and there's a lot of stuff not listed here that you can conceivably do under survival. Basically, all wilderness kind of based things will yeah. fall under here. Now, the number one use of survival that I see come up most often is following tracks. That's right. You know, someone walks in dirt and they leave by footprints. Can you follow those footprints? Can you follow them through the woods? Mm-hmm. This is the most common use of it I see. There's a lot of DCs that go along with it and a lot of stipulations on, you know, what's the size of the creature? What's kind of ground were they walking That's on? Right. How long has it been? Is there snow? What's the visibility? You guys can look through the, these stats and it's all just, just to modify the DCs. So it it is one that I, I see used a lot. As a DM, uh, this is not something that I go through. I'm like, okay, what was the ground? What was this? Right. I just make a DC, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, calculate the three different variables that make my survival DC. Sometimes I do that, and sometimes I actually do calculate it all. Because I feel it kind of rewards the person who has a lot of points into this. If I just make a flat DC at 15, some of the people might get it too. But if they do all this math and it ends up being like, you know... 21, and the guy's like, well, I got great survival and rolls it, I feel like I'm rewarding that person for putting all those points in survival. Right. And but it's not, it's definitely not like is a lot of work, and sometimes you just got to say, I'd rather put my work into other things than this. We have limited time as DMs. Right. GMs, sorry. Pathfinder. <laughs> GMs. <laughs> we want uh, uh, Go ahead and ad- advertise with us. We want your advertising dollar. We'll say GM every time. <laughs> uh, now, what kind of action is survival? Well, this is another one that's really variable based on what you're doing. If you're walking and doing the thing where you get a bonus on your fortitude checks against severe weather, you're obviously making a survival check the entire time. Right. You're, the whole time you're helping them move through and avoid quicksand and things like Only that. Only time it's really an action is when you're trying to find tracks. It's a, at least a full-round action. may even be longer. The only time I think you really care about this action is if you're in battle. I can't think of, like, maybe somebody goes invisible and they walk away and you're like, I want to figure out where they are by looking at these tracks because right now we're out in the snow. Right. Or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or out in the sand or there's dirt in the floor. Something like that. Um, aside from that, generally don't even worry about it. Can you try again? This is another really variable one based on what you're doing. If you're doing the getting through forests and providing fortitude save bonuses to your allies and yourself, you can make that check once every 24 hours. Avoid getting lost or avoid natural hazards. 
you make a survival check each time the situation calls for one. So, you know, every time a, you know, a pit of quicksand, you come across one, you have to make the check. Mm -hmm. but Obviously, uh, if you fall into the quicksand, you, you don't get a, a retry to see whether or not, you know, there's quicksand. You know there's quicksand. Yeah, you've immediately known. Um, for finding tracks, you can retry a fail check after an hour in the outdoor or 10 minutes in the indoors of searching. How often do you follow tracks indoors? <laughs> hey, listen, all the time. <laughs> I mean, do you only go to dusty places? I at least do it once every 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, cool. If you're trained in survival, you can automatically determine where the true north lies in relation to yourself. And that says, that's not talking about just outside. That's inside as well. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, it's less useful when you go to other planes, but <laughs> on the material plane, that's very useful. Ellie recently learned that the planes are connected. Oh, yeah. And there's a whole, you know, inner sphere, outer sphere kind of dealio going I on. I totally thought they were like completely different entities, like worlds. And you went to the fire plane, went to the. But I learned it was, I think it was like an ice elemental. And it goes, these are made. Uh, at the convergence of the air, the air plane of air and the plane of fire, or something like that. I forget mm -hmm. exactly. Um, probably not the plane of fire for ice elemental, but you get my point. Wind, One of the elements, wind and water, are very close to each other. It may be something like that, and I was like, "Oh, they're connected." This is not because the plane of air is just air, right? Everywhere. That's where genies are from and stuff like that. And, and so, like, I guess that's connected to the plane of Earth. It's like, oh, so it's just a planet. <laughs> <laughs> They're just giving... That's just the atmosphere. Right. This is all just science. I like end. to think them as not connected. But regardless, that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> so let's talk about how many points you're going to put into it. If I'm a ranger, I'm keeping that pretty high. Maybe not max, but pretty darn high. Yeah, most of these DCs are flat. Um, so unless you're doing a lot of tracking, I'd, this is like one of the middling skills. I'd get it to like, you know, plus 10, plus 15, so I can help my allies get through hot temperatures and I can avoid quicksand, but I'm not going to be like, you know, there's not going to be like any insane survival DCs that I can think of off the top of my head. Yep, the hardest the hardest one just for surviving is 20 if it's really, really hard ground. So you have a plus 10, take a 10, there you go. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's talk about swim. This is strength-based skill, and the armor check penalty does apply. That means, yes, your full-plate male fighter is going to sink. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and this is just you know how to swim. Now, it's important to note that when you talk about the swim skill, we kind of take swimming for granted because we have things like swimming pools, and, mm. you know, mo the majority of people know how to swim. Remember, in pa places like Pathfinder, A, there's no pools unless you're filthy, stinking rich, B, most body of waters you try to go into have things that are going to kill you inside of it. So most people do not know how to swim. And, or even so, it's like the, the, the most common body of water is a river. Well, you can pretty much stand in almost every, you know, kind of river you're going to find. Right. So just keep in mind, not everyone knows how to swim. The, the default is I don't know how to swim. Isn't it strange when you find somebody who doesn't know how to swim? You're like, you don't know how to swim? Yeah. Especially here. Like, we live in New Jersey. You know, near the shore. It's like, what do you mean? There's you, a you beach kind right of float there. there. People drive five hours to get to this beach. You live 20 minutes away. You don't know how to swim. Right. Regardless. Um, but that's the norm. It'd be like, you know how to swim? Wow. Where'd you learn that? Where'd you find water without tentacle monsters in it? <laughs> Gosh, that frog came and took my baby yesterday because I'm, I'm thinking about moving away, to be honest. <laughs> You wonder why people live in the deserts, because there's no water. <laughs> Isn't it a bad thing? No. <laughs> but aren't there giant scorpions in the desert? Where can we go to be safe? Where can we go in this world? At least they're not underwater. We can run away from them. The plane of water. My new home. <laughs> um, All right, so obviously swim checks are you make a check to swim through water. Mm -hmm. The flat DC, if you're swimming in calm water, it's a DC 10. 
Mm, rough yeah. water is 15. So just think about that. Just your average peasant takes a 10. He might be able to swim in calm water. He might be able to. Right. In fact, you can't take a 10 unless you have a point in it. So unless you have a point in swim... Is that true? I didn't know that. Correct. I believe so. I will double check that, but I believe you cannot take a 10 unless you have a point in it. Oh, okay. So your regular peasant without, you know, a point in swim has like a 50% chance to drown the <laughs> second he enters water if he has a positive strength score. Right. And if, and again, even if he did a point, he has to have nothing, uh, like coming after him or anything. All of a sudden, the crocodile appears. No more taking tents. <laughs> yeah, you got, now you have like a 25% chance to fall underwater. Rough water, DC's 15, uh, stormy water, uh, it's 20. And you can't take 10 on a swim check in stormy water, even if you're, uh, you aren't otherwise being threatened or distracted. Mm. Um, cause that's kind of like a distraction itself. That's right. Here's what is, I think, Honestly, I think a little bit annoying is you have to make a swim check every round. Right. That I think is a little a little gregarious. It, it is, and I think that if you're someone with a swim speed, it's not as much of a problem. Mm-hmm. But for your regular person and Pathfinder, you generally want to avoid going in the water without some sort of water transportation because it gets very very technical. Um, you know, you make a check every round. A success at the swim check means that you move up to half your speed as a full round action. Oh, right, 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 right. A quarter of your speed as a move action. Yeah. So if you have a 30-foot move speed, they round down, don't they? <laughs> so if you, you move a quarter of your speed, you're moving, what, five feet? But I'm doing it each round. So yeah. I'm just I'm treading pretty fast. That's all I'm saying. Doggy paddle. Now, 10 out of 10 would do again. <laughs> now what happens when you fail the check? If you fail by five or more, you go underwater. But four or less, you just don't make any progress. Yeah, you just kind of... Um, treading water. Right. With a wave you fail by four or less. <laughs> but five, you go underwater. And when you're underwater, more rules to go over. A lot of rules. Uh, don't fight things underwater. Goodness gracious, please don't fight things underwater. Be a merfolk. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, leave it alone. Or a gill people. What are they called? Gilmen? Gilmen. 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 Uh, it sounds like a name, Gilman. There is a slew of rules to go with underwater combat. Please, from a GM, never fight something underwater. What if we do the undersea uh, book thing? What was that? Uh, undersea. It was like the only thing that Hero Lab gives us for free. The inner sea world guy? Intersea world guy, is that it? But that's that's the inner the inner sea region is like all of Eurasia. It's like the all the continents. Oh, I assume that meant like there was some underwater campaign that they wrote. No, there is none, thank God. I would never play it. <laughs> oh, okay. Alright, then never mind me. <laughs> Where was it? Um In, So yeah, if you go underwater, uh you must hold your breath and you can hold your breath for a number of rounds equal to twice your constitution score. Not my fire, score. score. So the big number. Yeah, wow. It's gonna be a while for you. So at least twenty rounds if you have a ten constitution, you can hold your breath for twenty rounds. Which is what, six seconds, twenty times six is two minutes, right? Right. Now keep in mind, that'd be too easy if that there was all to it. But every time that you do a standard action like swing a weapon underwater, um you lose a round of breath every time you do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it takes a four-round action to take it. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. It's not please, clear. Please don't do underwater combat. There's a table, and it's like, you know, if you're using a bludgeoning weapon, if mm. you're using a slashing weapon, you do half damage. If you shoot an arrow into water, it's the kind of thing- for every five feet of water you go through, the there's a penalty based on it, and it's it's too much. Please, no. It's one of those things where if you're fighting a, a, a blue dragon, and he wants to go underwater... Don't follow him. Please He's don't. going to destroy your face. <laughs> You've got to, it's like one of those things, got to come up with some cool strategy, something to fight him on your terms. If you fight any, any water creature on its terms, more than some other creatures, they're really going to have a massive advantage unless you have a lot of training in water or you have a race that's really good for water. Or you have like freedom of movement so water doesn't affect you. You just right. kind of float through it. Um, 
if you're like a if you're trying to swim like continent to continent or something, each hour that you swim, you got to make a DC twenty swim check, or you take one d six points of non lethal damage because you are fatiguing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's it. so swimming itself isn't technically an action, but when you make a swim check, it is a move. You're obviously moving, so it would be a move action. Or a full round action, mm-hmm. and a success means you move your quarter your speed or half your speed as a full round action. Now, if you are a race that just like climbing or um, flying, if you have wings, if you have climb speed, if you have a swim speed, you get a plus eight racial bonus on swim checks just because you have a swim speed in the first place, mm-hmm. and you can always take a ten. Uh, and you can even use run action while swimming, uh, which is not anything else can do. Right, it's more like dolphin kicking, but <laughs> not really running. <laughs> Uh, how many points would you put in this? Almost none. I, depends. Like, as I'm a fighter with the swim skill, I think it's important to have someone in the party that can wade water, if need be. But, like I said, I tend like to avoid water just because, A, the rules are messing, and B, people just aren't good at it. Even when you put points in swim skill, yeah, you can swim, but you don't want to be in there because you're going to get rocked by anything inside the water. I think, personally, if you get a negative in it, I would bring it up to zero. Right. Yes, I agree. And... This kind of if if your armor check up penalty brings you down a negative, consider it um, because you're almost always going to wear your armor and you're not going to fall in the water generally unless you're in a battle or something like that. Like you're you're going to have your armor on when you fall in the water, so I would really consider bringing it to zero even with your armor check penalty, just so you can take a ten and mm-hmm. as long as it's calm water, you don't drown. If you're somebody who doesn't wear armor like that, I don't know, like gunslinger or something like that, um, I would consider putting maybe at least five points into it so that you can at least tread water pretty pretty. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, reliably. But in general, you probably should be avoiding water. And, you know, if you're falling into stormy water, something has gone wrong. <laughs> it's already hard enough. Just make sure you don't make it harder on yourself by having a, a, a negative number. Right. But I, 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 yeah, I think I think I would put at least five points into it, honestly. I mean, how often do your players swim, honestly? Mm-hmm. And if you're if you a fighter like all that, I think you, since it's strength-based anyway, yeah, you're gonna uh, be kind even of with your armor check penalty, with your strength bonus, maybe they'll already get you to plus zero. Mm-hmm. Well, like, how, how often have you had have your players swam? Um, only well, there was we did uh one my players sorry not very often, yeah. but I was in a campaign that took place on a series of islands. We did a lot of boat travel and a couple times fell in the water and stuff like that. Okay, so yeah, battles. that's an instance where you'd like to. So yeah, if you're if you're doing some sort of pirate theme or something that would do a lot of traveling on ships and like that, then start putting some points and swim because you're gonna need it. Right. Because unless your DM isn't any fun. You're going to have to fight a crack. <laughs> and your ship's going to be destroyed. Um, part of tonight's note, swim is a skill where um, it's kind of invalidated by magic. There's a level, I think it's a level one spell called Touch of the Sea that a wizard could prepare. He touches you. Oh, look, you have a swim speed now. You don't even need points in swim. You're just going nice. to go swim around. That's a good point. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. So even if you get to the point where you need to make ridiculously high DC checks, your wizard can just cast a few spells and suddenly you can all sort of thrive underwater without a problem. Mm-hmm. And you can air bubble and stuff like that. You breathe under it, it's fine. Use magic device. This is a charisma-based skill that is trained only. And this is your ability to use magic items, period. <laughs> okay. uh, it's your ability to activate things like wands, scrolls, magical artifacts you found, you know, in the back of the trader's van. And you just happen to lift it up that and you walk asked. away. Yeah. You know, rub the genie's lamp and just That's the right down by the river! <laughs> <laughs> Rub the genie's lamp in just the right way to get the genie to come out. Oh, yeah. All these Rub that lamp. <laughs> just the right way. <laughs> I can see who's the dominator here. <laughs> uh, dominator. See, now that's 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 uh, it's going to be a new title now. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the dominant person, the submissive person. It's the dominator. <laughs> um, 
So, um, if you pick up a wand, let's say, use magic advice is a pretty complicated skill. So suppose you have a wand, and it's a cure light wounds wand, just for example. Let's say you're a cleric, and you pick up that wand. You can use that wand without any points and use magic device. You have cure light wounds on your spell list, mm-hmm. so you can just pick up that wand and start touching people, be like, you're healed, you're right. healed, you're healed, you're healed. What if you're a uh, magus? You don't have cure light wounds on your de- uh, spell list. You can still use that wand, but you have to make a use magic device check. Right. Uh, just to use a wand that is not on your spell list, it is a DC 20. Okay. If you use a scroll, it's DC 20 plus the caster level. Scrolls have their own little set of rules. You have to read magic first and identify the scroll, what exactly spell it is. Uh, it has to be the same type of magic you can cast. Mm-hmm. You can't cast divine-based scrolls, but you can cast arcane scrolls if you are an arcane spellcaster. So a fighter can't pick up a scroll and use it. To activate blindly, it's a DC of 25. And um, some some things are activated through special words, thoughts, or actions. Uh, you can activate such an item as if you were using the activation word. So I have, I have boots of levitation. And I need to say, Alakazam! <laughs> and I'll fly up. But I don't know the word, Alakazam! So I activate it blindly. Um, you do have to perform some equivalent activity or make this chant, Abracadabra! <laughs> you trick the boots. They're, they're not smart boots. Um and then uh, you you roll and you get a plus two bonus and you use magic if you've activated the item in question at least once before. So the first time it's hard, the rest of the times it gets a little bit easier. If you fail by nine or less, you can't activate the device. If you fail by ten or more, you suffer a mishap. Yay. Fun in the sun. Uh, a mishap means that magical energy gets released but doesn't do what you wanted it to do. The default mishaps are that the item affects the wrong target or that the uncontrolled magic energy is released, dealing 2d6 points of damage to you. This mishap is in addition to the chance for a mishap that you would normally risk when you cast a spell from a scroll that you could not otherwise cast yourself. What's that talking about? In, normally you can only cast scrolls from your school of magic. Gotcha. Uh, if you suffer a mishap in a scroll, um, there's a little table under the scroll section that okay, says okay. what will, might happen. Now, suppose you want to decipher a written spell. Um, but you don't have spellcraft. You want to use use magic device instead. Um, this works just like the spellcraft skill, except the DC is five points higher. So the DC twenty five plus the spell level instead of a DC twenty plus the spell level. Right. And this requires a minute of concentration. If you want to emulate an ability score, like to cast a spell from a scroll, you need a higher score in the appropriate ability: intelligence for wizard, wisdom for divine spells, charisma for sorcerer or bard spells. Effective ability score is going to be equal to your use magic device check. Minus 15. That's the result, I'm sorry. The result minus 15. That's very different. If you already have a high enough score in the appropriate ability, then you don't need to make this check. Suppose you pick up a scroll of magic missile. That's a level 1 spell. Which means you need at least a level uh, 11 intelligence to cast that spell, use that scroll. You're a rogue with 10 intelligence. You don't have enough int to activate that scroll. So you make your use magic device check. Uh, you subtract 15 from the result. And if that is 11 or higher, then you have the appropriate ability score to Ouch. activate that scroll. And now you have to activate the scroll with another use magic device So you check. need six points to even do it. Right. Because minus 15 plus 20 if you roll a 20. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Yeah, use magic device is a very, very high use skill because it's supposed to be used later in the game. If everyone had access to magic, the game would kind of break. Mm-hmm. I'll take this one similar. Similar uh, to emulating ability score, emulating alignment. Some magic items have positive or negative fa- effects based on the user's alignment. Use magic device lets you use these items as if you were in alignment of your choice, but you can only emulate one alignment at a time, and that DC is 30. Ouch. Owie. Use magic device is something that needs a lot of points before you can use it. Right. 
Suppose you need to emulate a class feature. You find an item that requires you to have a certain class feature. With a DC 20 check, um, your effective level in the emulated class is your use magic device check. Oh, excuse me, minus 20. Ouch. So you make a use magic device check and you subtract 20 and suppose the item required you to be a bard of a certain level. Mm-hmm. Um, that result, let's suppose you roll the 25, you would be a level 5 bard for that effect. Similar, if you want to emulate a race... Uh, you have to do a DC of 25. So you don't get any negatives. Like the class feature and ability score, you have to do your check minus a certain number, but the race and the alignment is just a flat check, but they're stupid high, 30 and 25. Now, suppose you find a scroll and you want to use it. Normally, you have to have the scroll on your class spell list, and if that's the case, activating it is much easier. But if it's not on your spell list, well, then you can use Magic Device to try and cast it as if you did. After you've emulated the ability score or alignment or whatever. You know, the other 50 Those checks, easy checks. You know. You've also got this one. <laughs> the DC is equal to 20, plus the caster level of the spell you're trying to cast from the scroll. If you want to figure out whether or not you need to emulate uh, the ability, it's just 10 plus the spell level. You don't need to know everything about bards and clerics and wizards. Just it's a simple calculation. And then I already mentioned the wands. So what kind of action is a use magic device check? So you can't use the wand if you at all if you don't have the ability. If, if um, on your spell list or class list. Normally, to use a wand. You must have the wand spell on your class spell list. This use of the skill allows you to use a wand as if you had a particular spell on your class spell list. Failing the roll does not expend a charge. Gotcha. And that's DC twenty. Okay, that's not too bad. So wands. So wands are the big thing that people who aren't particularly magical have a chance at using. Right. You don't need to emulate any... Do you need to emulate anything? Nope. Great, you can just use it. You just make that DC 20 and you can use that wand. So really scrolls are the kind of thing that... The only person who should be using them is your magic user. Uh, but wands are the kind of thing that other players can use. Mm-hmm. Um, in okay. The use magic device list is intentionally very difficult in nature. Magic is supposed to be something restricted to certain classes that have their own drawbacks. It, it becomes much easier at higher levels, you know, once you hit, like, level 10 or so, these use magic device checks are going to be rather easy. But until then, you know, you're not going to have access to every spell, as this would give you. Uh, making the action, it's usually a non-action, but, you know, if it's a standard action to activate this magic item, your use magic device check is part of that standard action. Uh, can you try again? Yes, but if you ever roll natural one while attempting to activate an item, you fail, and you can't try to activate an item again for a whole day. Yeah, so if you have your Curl Light Wounds wand and you're low level and you're going to sit in there trying to heal your buddy, you can keep doing that until you roll a natural one. This is one of the few things where you can't aid another, and you definitely can't take 10 with this skill. That is something that I personally... Yeah, I do not... I change that. I house rule that. I understand that the magic skill is supposed to be random. Like, they want that mishap to happen sometimes, and it's not supposed to be people, things that people have access to. But your allies are going to... Your PCs are going to sit there with a Cure Light Wounds wand... Anyway, they're going to sit there until they fail. They're going to sit there until they heal to full. Right. Why make it more restrictive? Let them take a 10 so that they can do it anyway. Mm-hmm. I guess the only thing they have that for is because if you roll a 1, you fail. Right. So they want you to roll in case you roll a 1. Um, personally, what I do is for the scrolls, I ignore and hand wave the emulating alignment class feature ability score. I just have it as 20 plus the caster level. And sometimes I even reduce that because the way I think of scrolls kind of, just for me personally, is I it's when the you give a scroll to a fighter. The wizard already can cast a spell, but you want to be able to give fireball to the fighter for this one because you're going to dungeon versus ice things. You know it. So you give him fireball just to give him something he can he can do that he normally couldn't do. Mm-hmm. So I don't like to make it this restrictive personally. Right. But another thing you can also do is just make the the 
the DC 20 for using a wand, make it the same for scrolls. It's another thing you could do. Right. Scrolls just fly DC 20. But the reason I still add the caster level is because I don't want a fighter using a fifth level spell just because he rolled a 20. I like to make it plus the, 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 the spell level. This is a really, really complicated skill. It's one of the definitely one of the more powerful ones. If almost everyone should be taking use magic device. I want to say, because, or at least everyone that has a good charisma score in it as a class skill, because, you know, late, later in the game, when you have a high use magic device check, you just have a whole slew of options open to you now. You can buy wands, you can buy scrolls, all those sort of things. I have been a bad DM, and I haven't really used this a lot or watched my players use it, so I almost don't put any points to use magic device. Uh, my players don't generally use wands and things like that and scrolls. I think... It, if you're going to use it a lot, then put a lot of points in it. Because if you don't, it's going to be useless. You put five points in this, you're not going to make a lot of these checks. Right. If you're going to do it, do it hard. Yeah. What I do usually, like personally, is I won't put points into this until like level 10, until level 8. I won't put a single point into it. Then at level 10, it's like, okay, here comes use magic device. Right. I want to use those wands. Right, right. I want that wand of invisibility. I'm a rogue. I need that. The only downside of that is if you don't get a ton of points on level up, you're going to have to invest it all the way through. Right. Because if you only get like two every level, like a fighter or something like that. But most wizards and things like that, wizards have intelligence is what they're based on, right? Yeah, but this is a charisma skill. Oh, it's a charisma skill. You're right. Yeah, so sometimes you're going to have to. Well, I mean, intelligence still gives you more skill points to use per level. Right. Uh, so unless you unless you don't get if you get a lot of points leveling up that's fine but if you don't you're gonna have to invest as you go. <laughs> I base too many things based on rogues. Rogues really need use magic device um, because they need that access to invisibility and they need access to certain spells to be more versatile and keep up. Um, ba- basically, most uh, bards can make great use out of use magic device too. They already get their own spell list, but they can use other ones now too, and they tend to have a high charisma. Wow, a lot of skills. Yes. And it's hard to remember all of these things. The the best part is, is that, as a player, you don't really have to. Yay! <laughs> That's the GM's job. <laughs> but there are some that you are going to have to know, like the whole acrobatics thing that lets you go through a, a, a threatened square. That's something that he's not going to say, do you want to use your acrobatics? Right. You're going to have to remember that. So kind of look at the ones that you put a lot of points in, read a lot about those. And just kind of, hopefully with these these podcasts, you become familiar with all of them. So you kind of jog your memory. Oh, you know what? I'm going to use my appraise to see if this is magical. Right. If you're in a group of new players and you all have different classes, you know, have all your own specialties. Have someone that's good at bluff and diplomacy and they learn about that. So you learn about it from them. You do whatever your character is good at. If you're a rogue, you know, read about sleight of hand, read about stealth, read about the stuff you do so that you're kind of the specialist on that. And then you learn from each other. Yep, working together. And it's just, skills are so critical to your character. Now that you understand them, you'll just have a better time in the role-playing world. And even some of the combat. Mm-hmm. Alright, thanks for listening. Class dismissed! Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. Visit our site for other great Pathfinder podcasts. I've been Nicholas Laborde. Thanks for listening.